We're going to do something a little different before I begin uh, tonight. Uh, most of you know that not only is this a service that we have on Thursday nights, but it is also the recording that we make for the weekends here across Timbers. And uh, Cole, just start making your way up here. I need you to help me here in just a minute. Uh, and as we sang Waymaker tonight, as Bryce led us in that song, which honestly has become for Mike and I one of the just so special to us, I just, the Lord kept reminding me of this sweet family here in Denton of this officer that was shot just two days ago, less than two miles from this building. If you think, I mean, it's our community, man. We're in Denton, right? This is our community in Denton. And I want us to, I want us just, I, I want us to pray for that family. That the Lord would be waymaker for him, for his sweet wife. I am so grateful for the police officers all over, but especially that are a part of our family work here in Denton. This is going to be a dangerous place, man. And we love you, and we stand with you. And I just think as a Denton camp specifically for this campus, and the reason you're here is I'm going to pray, and then you're going to have to pray, and we're going to have to get started again because okay. I need to quit crying, okay? So just give me just a minute. But could we just stop for a moment this day as a family in Denton planted here to stand together with our law enforcement officers in this community and to pray for mamas and daddies and husbands and wives and sons and daughters these guys go out all over this city uh, not knowing what's going to happen before they came home. I, and I just want you to know, man, I believe the Lord can supernaturally heal this man. I believe the Lord can touch his physical body and do something that medical science cannot explain. And if, if God does it, I'm not going to take the credit. So if he does it, I'm not going to take the blame. I'm just going to do what Jesus told me to do and pray in faith. Okay, can we just do that together? Can I stir up a little faith in you just in this moment? Let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are a God who heals, that you are a God who protects, you are a God who provides. And Lord, I just know that less than two days ago, that within two miles of this building, the unthinkable happened and a family got marred forever. Uh, by an evil act by one. And so, Lord, I'm just, in Jesus' name, I speak protection and healing over that family. I speak peace into the lives of his mom, his dad, his fellow officers. And, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for those who step out and protect us, Lord. And I pray, Father, you would bless them. I pray that you would fill them with your light that would push back darkness, Lord. I pray that they would have a sense of your abiding presence in every call and every ride they make every day and every night. And we, as a church family, we stand with these men and women. And we're grateful for them. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, and the church said? Amen, amen and amen. So, Cole, you just pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you that we can gather as a family. Um, and Lord, just begin to bring to you these things that are happening in our community or even happening in our own hearts. Um, and so God, I just pray that as we um, continue to worship, as we um, hear from your scriptures tonight, God, that we would have um, hands that are ready to be acted upon, God, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive, um, that we would have ears that are ready to listen. Um, and so even in your seat, would you pray and just ask that God would speak to you tonight? And would you pray for Toby that he would be helpful for you, helpful to you tonight? 
And so, Lord, we declare with the anthem of heaven that you are the only one worthy of praise and glory, and it's your kingdom both now and forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Joe DeSena is the founder of the Spartan Games. Was running in his 21st Ironman triathlon. When he spoke these words to himself, I've done 20 Ironman triathlons. Who needs this? Now, the interesting thing about it was Joe had pushed his body about as far as he could possibly go. He had already completed 2.4 miles of swimming. Well, about you, that'd take me about two weeks. But he had done 2.4 miles of swimming. He had done 112 miles on the bike. And he was 10 miles into his 26.2-mile run. He's only got 16.2 miles to go in this unfathomable journey when he begins to become nauseous. And he calls for the medics and begins to vomit uncontrollably. And he says to himself something that he's never allowed himself to say to himself in the middle of one of these contests. Who needs this? I'm done. And as he was about to give the signal to the officials to bring the recovery truck, a woman with one leg passed him. And that was the moment Joe said he decided to keep going. I tell you that story because I think it perfectly illustrates this two-and-a-half-year journey I've been on trying to figure out this mystery man that we know as the Apostle Paul. You just can't put this guy in a box. Two years ago, I began to read over and over again in preparation for this year. The book of Acts, the second half of Acts, is all about the life of this one named Saul who became Paul. And in the middle of early part of this year, now I begin to read not only Acts, but his letters, preparing for some things we're going to talk about next year. And as the Lord would provide, as many of you know, Mike and I actually got back last week from walking where Paul had walked. And those letters that I was reading became more and more real. And I think even in me was heightened this sense of you can't put this man in a box. On one hand, you find this hard charging, hard driving, courageous, throw caution to the wind, kind of a man's man who will walk into a stadium with 30,000 people knowing they want to kill him and they have to keep him from going in. One who, when he gets a vision from God, no matter what the political climate, it almost incenses him into more determination to move in on one hand, but yet on the other hand, you find a guy who says, 1 Corinthians, hey, I came to you in Corinth. Let me tell you what was happening to me. I was full of fear and trembling. You read in his last words to Timothy, it's, it's really sad. If you really read it, he says, Hey, I need you to hurry and come. Everybody else has left me. He can't stand to be alone. Will you bring this guy and this guy and let this guy come? Because everybody but Mark is gone. 
and I'm lonely here. And there's weeping and sobbing when he leaves these churches that he's planted. And so one side you've got this this man's man, masculine, hard-driven. And yet on the other side you've got this soft, tender The very thing that I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I know I ought to do, I don't do. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death kind of guy? And you read it, and you can't put him in a box. And so you have, I have to ask this question. So, like, what's the secret for him? I don't know about you, but, like, when I see somebody's strength, it inspires me. But when I see somebody's weakness, it's a place I can identify with that person. And you can't put them in either box. And a couple of weeks ago, on a way too long plane ride home, I think I solved the mystery for me. He possessed, in a far greater way, in a more supernatural way, what Joe possessed, the power of perspective. He just saw the world differently. He wore different glasses. You know, it's interesting. Right before this service began this day, my glasses broke. I mean, they're literally together with electrical tape. And you got someone back there struggling to put them together. Why? Because I have the same eyes. You're the same people. But I can't see you without the right lenses. Perspective is a powerful thing. Joe didn't stop vomiting. The nausea didn't subside. But something happened in him when he saw his world differently. In a world that says that we are to be something, I'm here to tell you that there's a power, a perspective in seeing something that causes you to find yourself in places you never dreamed you could be and make an impact like you never thought you could make. Perspective is a powerful thing. Paul, in the middle of saying goodbye to some of his closest disciples, some of the people that he had launched the church with, he says in Acts 20, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I might finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, don't miss this. Stay with me. If only. If there's only one thing I could do, that's what he says. Have you ever said that in your life? I'd give anything if only. Is there anything in your life that you'd give your life for? If you're a father or mother, instantly you would say your children, wouldn't you? I'll, I'll do anything for my children. I mean, what's your if only? Paul's if only is, I want to finish the race that God has set out for me. Now, this is important. Stay with me. Because peppered through Paul's letters is going to be this concept of a calling being a race. Why? 
Why does Paul talk so much in his letters about a race? Because in the culture of the day, into which Paul was speaking, one of the most common occurrences, one of the most familiar imageries was those of those who were racing. In the Olympia, there's every four years there was a game that would begin. Anybody know what they were called? The Olympics. They began in Greece. Most scholars, many scholars would tell you these began before Christ. It was a part of the rhythm. When Paul writes about a race to the church in Corinth, once a year they have a game. It's called the Isthmus Games. Why? Because this little peninsula or Isthmus is where Corinth is situated. They watched athletes train. It was a part of the environment. You understand that if Paul was in Europe right now, he would call his calling not a race, but he would call it soccer. That's what he called it. And he would come up with all kinds of Holy Spirit-inspired imagery. Of, he was looking for something familiar, right? And he says, The perspective of my life is God has given me a race to run, and I want to run it well. That was his, if only, this was his perspective in the way that he looked at life. Do you see your life? that way do you see your life as a series of happenstances and circumstances and things happen to you and you respond to them or do you believe that you have a race to run I think there's three radical statements that could change your life if you would like, commit with me over the next, I don't know, two weeks to begin your day saying three things. Looking in a mirror and saying three things. I want you to write them down, and we're going to practice together today, okay? This is a participation day. You're all going to play. Number one, I want you to write this down. I am a runner. I am a runner. Everybody, look at me. We're going to say it together. I am a runner. Say it like you mean it. I am a runner. Okay, now, everybody, how many of you are laughing because you have said before, I'm just not a runner? How many of you? Raise your hand, be honest. Now, why do you say you're not a runner? You know why you're not a runner? Because you don't run. What makes you a runner is that you run. It's not, you don't have to run fast, you don't have to l run long, but if you put one foot in front of the other, by definition, you are a runner. There is a difference between saying, I don't like to run, and saying, I'm not a runner. You're with me? Many of us are not living our calling, we're not running our race because we don't believe that we're a runner. And when you begin to put one foot in front of the other, uncertain at some level about what your unique calling is, by definition, you begin to run your race. But a race never starts until you put one foot in front of the other. And Paul writes words like this. So don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. Run in a way as to get the prize. 
Everyone competes in the games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be what? Disqualified from the race. Whether you're running or not, you have a race to run. And the goal of the race, look, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your race is not against other runners. Your race is against a force that wants to suck the life out of you and get you to believe that you don't have a race to run. You with everybody hearing what I'm saying? Like at some point, you have to say over and over again, I'm a runner. I have a calling. I have a purpose. God has a race for me. And by the way, your race is not my race, and my race is not your race. I can't spend my time worrying about how come I don't get to run your race because i got to run my race. I'm not responsible for crossing the finish line in your race. I'm responsible for crossing the finish line in my race. Why? Because I'm a runner. And runners run. They don't wander aimlessly. He goes to boxing. I don't know why he goes to boxing. I couldn't find any reason why. I don't box as one beating there. There is a purpose to my life. There is a reason for me to get out of bed. I'm a student. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm a retiree. You have a race to run. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. And the only thing that will matter at the end of your life is not if you ran farther than someone else, if you ran faster than someone else, but if you were faithful in your race. I'm a runner. Number two, I will run my race. Write it down. I will run my race. Will you say it with me? I will run my race. Come on, somebody. I will run my race. You want to know how to get somebody distracted from running their race? Just look, have them look at the people that are in front of them or the people that are behind them. That's why Paul says in Philippians, Hey, I hadn't obtained, I hadn't finished my race yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward ahead, I press on. Why is he not looking behind and not looking ahead? Why? Because there's people in front of him, there's people behind him. And if I'm focused on your race, if I'm, if I, comparison will kill you. It'll kill your calling. You go, well, I'm not really like that. Like, why do you, your car was fine until your neighbor pulled up in a new car. Am I telling the truth? I mean, comparison will kill you. Well, why can't I? God, why don't you let me have what he has? Why can't I do what he does? You know what begins to happen? You watch God heal somebody else. And if you're 
not running your race, trying to run their way. You can't celebrate with them that God's healed them. You're just wondering why God hadn't healed you yet. But if you're running your race, you can celebrate with that one because you believe you're next. Comparison will kill you. I'm a runner and I will run my race. I'm, you know, when I was in eighth grade, this, this, ha, I mean, this happens, I think, when my coach, old coaching friends is in here. I think this is true for most kids. You know, in sixth grade, I was one of the fastest guys in my class. Uh, in PE, you know, the, we're the king of the hill for boys in elementary school was, was PE. And so we'd run these races and I would always win, come in first or second. I get in seventh and eighth grade, and everybody else is getting faster. And I'm not getting slower. I'm just not getting any faster. Right? They're developing, and I'm not. And so the coach told me when track season came, he said, uh, Slyre, you're going to run the 1320, which really dates me. They don't even have that anymore. That was three of those 440 laps. 1320, because that's a nicer way of saying, hey, Slyre, you're a slow white kid, and we're going to put you in this long race. <laughs> right? I mean, 1320 is like nothing. Nobody comes to track me to watch the 1320. Ain't nobody getting no scholarship to college because they won, you know, the eighth grade 1320. And I spent my eighth grade year moaning, groaning, bemoaning, and not excelling at the 1320 because I was so mad that I couldn't run the 100. Some of you, you're so worried about somebody else's race or having a different race than you have that you're missing the race God has for you. God doesn't count the way the world counts. Craig Groeschel and Andy Stanley, your name, your celebrity preacher, they're not getting a seat in front of me because their churches are bigger or they've led more people to Christ or because they're more innovative in what they do. Why? That ain't my race. This is my race. When I stand before the Lord, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. If I don't spend my time worrying why I don't have a platform like one of those guys and be who God called me to be. You're not going to have to answer for somebody else's race, but you will for yours. It's what Jesus did that will get you to heaven, but it's what you do. That determines your reward in heaven. Go read the Gospel of Luke. You got to run your race. You got to quit looking to your left, to your right, behind you and in front of you. And you, number three, and most importantly, you got to determine what a win is. Look at me, write this down. I will not coast. Everybody look here at me. If you don't hear anything else I say this day, I want you to say it with me. I'm going to have faith for you if this is a new concept to you. This is stirring personally in my life, something deep within my soul. Look at me. Say it with me. I will not coast. I won't coast. I won't always get it right. 
I won't always come in first. There won't, there won't be disappointments along the way. There won't be distractions. I won't be disappointed in you. I won't be disappointed in me. I'll sometimes be disappointed in God. I may take a left. I may take a right. But what I'm not going to do is put it on autopilot and coast. There is no cruise control in the kingdom of God. Your calling, your race is run with consistency. It's daily deciding I'm not going to waste a day in my race. This is, what the, this is the imagery the people of Corinth were seeing when Paul talks about this race. When he talks about training, they watch these guys day after day after day. Nobody falls into an Olympic medal. Do you understand this? It's training. I get so revved up about this because we start talking about running a race and you start thinking about willpower. I'm not talking about willpower. Willpower is about here's something I will do. That's one aspect of it. Another aspect of it is here's something I won't do. But the third aspect, the Christian aspect, is this. I want power. Not I will or I won't, but I want. I want power. That's what willpower in the kingdom is. I need, God, your power to run my race. I can't run my race in my own power. I need the resurrected power of Jesus to not waste a day of my race. When I close my eyes at night, it's not about a scorecard. It's about my heart. Did I phone it in that day? I'm not talking about not resting. I'm not talking about not recreating. I'm not talking about being type A. I'm talking about like a decision of the will. That's your part. God gives the power and it connects with your will to say, I will not coast. I won't. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker, college student, retiree, newly married, been married for 60 years, single, divorced, Addict, recovering addict, in the middle of a life mess, on the other side of a life mess. I will not coast. I will take from this day forward, I will put my head forward, and I will run my race. Because if I don't run my race, nobody's going to run my race. Because God divinely planted me and gifted me and equipped me for this moment in time. And I can't do everything, but I can run my race. You with me? And Paul's finishing his life, and it just it moves me, man. It just this timid, this kid, he just pours into this kid. He just he loves him so much. He watches this kid grow into this unbelievable leader. And it's because he invested all of that in him. And at the end of his life, in that prison cell, he's like, hey, Timothy, come see me. I'm lonely. I'm, it's, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Like, it's the end of my life. I know it's the end of this season. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And for so long in my life, I thought that was about the end of my life. I thought like that was a message for old people. I really did. 
And I thought it was a noble message. My thing was, well, I'm, four, I'm 35 years old. I'm 40 years old. Yeah, one day I want to say that, but I got lots of living to do. And then I lived a life. Can, can I be like an older guy for some of you right now? And, and I want to just show you something. Like, your life is not birth and death. Your life is a series of seasons. Your life is a series of seasons. You see your life this way. It's a series of these seasons. I'm going to try to do something. I might not can, but I'm going to try it. And in these seasons of your life, and there's this growing up years, and let's just, for sake of it, let's just say like this season right here, this right here, this is like from your childhood until you get out of college and, and you get on your own. This is a season of your life. It's distinct and it's beautiful and it's hard and sometimes you wish you were out of it and then you're out of it you wish you could go back. But it's a distinct season, right? And then there's this next season of you beginning your young adult life. Maybe you won't be like me and Micah. Maybe you won't get married right when you get out of high school, out of college. You'll wait a while and it'll be this season and you'll be on your own. And you'll be like my brother who called me after his first week of work as a single man and said, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Like, when's Christmas vacation? And then you get into a job. Everybody with me? That's the season of your life. And then you've got a season of your life here. And many, for many of us, we'll get married. And you learn how to be married. And there, that you, you wake up thinking this is the greatest thing ever. And you wake up the next day going, what in the world did I do? And you learn how to care for each other. You make mistakes and you learn from it, right? Everybody with me? And this is a season. And then you've got this season of raising your kids. And you're, it's those seasons, you could break those seasons down there. And there's this season of where, come on, mama's like, it's tough because all you're doing is changing diapers and chasing kids and, and, and your whole life is engulfed in that. And, and, but then you can't wait for them to get a little bit older and they get a little bit older. You become a shuttle bus and they get a little bit older and they drive their cars. But I mean, there's all these little stuff, but it's a season, right? And then they go off and then you've got this empty nest season. Right? And you're, and, and. You understand, like, every season has built on the other season. Like, if I haven't built my marriage here and here, this season is going to suck. You with me? Why? Because the whole life was about something other than us here, here and here. And then your kids get, they, they, they get grown and they get married and they start their own lives and you love them, but you want them to have their own life. But even sometimes you're there and you kind of feel like you're in the way. And, you, and you're so grateful that they're building these lives. And they're experiencing things you experienced. And life is this series of seasons. And if you don't watch out, like if you start coasting here and you decide to pick it back up and so you're going to live and then you start coasting here, are you watching what happens? It just gets, like the whole line gets lower and lower and lower. 
Because you've coasted here and you want to like, I'm now I want to pick the pace up here. But you're starting from a lower spot. And before you know it, look at me. You're bored. You're distracted. You, you have become the very thing you did not want to become. Or you feel like you don't have a race to run anymore. And it's not because Jesus doesn't love you. And it's not because you're not a good person. It's because you got comfortable with cruise control. And somewhere along the way, you really began to believe that your best days were behind you. Somebody wrote it. I don't know who it was. I'm not sure I could read it on here. But like your 20s are discovering life. 30s are for honing your life. 40s are for doing your life. 50s are for killing it in your life. And your 60s are for helping others do it. Like there's all these seasons where somebody behind you needs you to decide, I'm not going to coast anymore. Like, look at me, everybody. I'm going to tell you this. I may not get it right, but I am not limping into heaven. I'm leaping into heaven. There is something for me to do, a race for me to run at this season of my life that is an opportunity like I've never had before. And I'm not going to spend my time longing for a Another season, I just want to run the race to the best of my ability in this season. I think a part of the reason I'm so emotional about this is partly just personal, just like a personal being the place where Paul baptized Lydia outside of Philippi and feeling like with a pastor friend of the Lord was saying, hey man, like God has a new season for you. There's, there's a generation for you to touch and there's some things that only you can do. And being baptized in that place is a, is a symbol of, man, I'm all in for the next season. All life. Part of it is, in January, us being 20 years old as a church. I don't think our best days are behind us. I think they're in front of us. If we all run our race. If we decide we're not going to coast. If we decide that we're better together than any of us are by ourselves and that we were designed by God and for God to live in the place we live to work in the place we work and to be a part of the spiritual family we're part of why because God wants to use us because I'm a runner and runners run so Two knee surgeries ago, many years ago, I decided I was going to run marathons. I kind of have this annoying habit, Mike would tell you, of uh, believing that if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. And so with a dear friend of mine, a guy named Andy Smith, on the second day of ever running in our lives, not being able to run one time around track, we decided we are going to sign up for a marathon. So we got Hal Higdon's Beginner's Guide to Marathon Running, and we started doing the runs and doing the stuff you got to do. And we laughed a lot and we both got sick and we both wondered sometimes we could do it. And the day of the race comes and, you know, the race part of that stuff's fun. It's the long, it's like when your wife drops you off and ponder and you run back to Argyle in the rain. That's when it's not fun. 
But the race is fun. There's bands and candy and cheers. And I'm getting to the end of the race, and I got this picture. And there stands Mike and my two little kids, young ones. And uh, they got Go Dad and signs. And I'm breaking up in tears. It's an emotional moment for me. I built some relationships with some men in Argyle that taught me how to do this thing. And I ran it with this guy. And, but I forget my son. We got in the car, and he goes, hey, Dad, how'd you do? Did you win? I said, I sure did, son. I, I came across the finish line strong. I mean, that's what I want this season of my life to be. And this is what I want this season of your life to be. That when you get to the end of a season, whatever season it is, that you will be able to say, hey, man, I didn't get it right, but I didn't coast. I know we, I, I didn't. I, there, there were some lulls. There were some questions. There were some doubts along the way. But you know what? I didn't put it on cruise control. I didn't let my feelings drive my life. I let Jesus give me power to be everything he called me to be. That perspective, a perspective that said, hey, tomorrow, all, all, all I promise is tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to run my race. Why? Because I'm a runner. And runners run, and I'm not going to coast. So I thought the best way for us finish our time together, I don't know if it helped you, it helped me a lot just to say all of that, but it's to remind you that if you want to say anything about Jesus, you can say this, his best days were his last days. He laid face first in the dirt and said, God, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, please come up with another way. He hung on a cross and he felt forsaken in that moment. My God, my God. But he set his face toward Jerusalem and he finished his race well so that I could finish my race well. And what greater way is a believer to kind of drive a stake in the ground and say, you know what, I'm a runner. I'm going to run my race, my race, and I won't coast than to be filled with the power of a resurrected Jesus. Not willpower, not won't power, but I want power. And so we take a little cracker. We drink a little cup of juice. It symbolizes his body on the cross, his blood that was shed. And we sing about the beautiful name of Jesus to give us the strength. Look at me, everybody, just for one more day. Just one. One day to run well. Let's pray. I am reminded, Lord, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's by your spirit that I am equipped to run the race that you have for me. I'll confess that I've spent too many of my days longing for somebody else's race. I just want to run my race well. I want the perspective of Paul that says, if only, just give me one thing, just allow me to run my race. I thank you, Lord, that when I don't have strength, when I don't have the will, and when I don't want to, it is your power seen 
and experience through a resurrected Jesus that is the good news to get me on my feet and out in the street and running my race. And so I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for every season represented in this room and for the potential here for us to run well. And we claim the beautiful name of Jesus as the name of every name. And we thank you for him. In Jesus we pray. Amen.